pray and ask his help tonight before we open the word. Father, we've just sung, thank you, O my Father, for giving us your Son and leaving your Spirit till the work on earth is done. And Lord, how thankful we are for the Holy Spirit to be with us tonight as we try to proclaim Christ. And we just pray for his power and his help as we do so now. Bless as we open your word again together. We look to you to give the blessing tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Please take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Ezekiel and chapter 38. Ezekiel chapter 38. I'll be generous in how much time I'll let you uh, have to find this. Ezekiel chapter 38, and uh, I want you to notice it says Ezekiel 38 and 39, we're not reading both chapters tonight, Um, it's a two chapter prophecy, um, but we're going to just look at chapter 38 and we'll see how far we get with this tonight, Uh, and we'll come back, God willing, to look at the the parts we leave uh, another day. But we're going to read the whole chapter just to, to give us a start. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, set your face against Gog of the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal, and prophesy against him, and say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. I will turn you around, put hooks into your jaws, and lead you out with all your army, horses, and horsemen. All splendidly clothed, a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya are with them, all of them with shield and helmet. Goma, and all its troops, the house of Tagama, from the far north and all its troops, many people are with you. Prepare yourself and be ready, you and all your companies that are gathered about you, and be a guard for them. After many days you will be visited. In the latter years you will come into the land of those brought back from the sword and gathered from many people, on the mountains of Israel, which had long been desolate. They were brought out of the nations, and now all of them dwell safely. You will ascend coming like a storm, covering the land like a cloud, you and all your troops and many peoples with you. Thus says the Lord God, On that day it shall come to pass that thoughts will arise in your mind, and you will make an evil plan. You will say, I will go up against a land of unwalled villages. I will go to a peaceful people who dwell safely, all of them dwelling without walls and having neither bars nor gates, to take plunder and to take booty, to stretch out your hand 
against the waste places that are again inhabited and against a people gathered from the nations who have acquired livestock and goods who dwell in the midst of the land. Sheba, Dedan, the merchants of Tarshish and all their young lions will say to you, have you come to take plunder? Have you gathered your army to take booty, to carry away silver and gold, to take away livestock and goods, to take great plunder? Therefore, son of man, prophesy and say to Gog, thus says the Lord God on that day when my people Israel dwell safely, will you not know it? Then you will come from your place out of the far north, you and many peoples with you, all of them riding on horses, a great company and a mighty army. You will come up against my people Israel like a cloud to cover the land. It will be in the latter days that I will bring you against my land so that the nations may know me when I am hallowed in you, O Gog, before their eyes. Thus says the Lord God, are you he of whom I have spoken in former days by my servants, the prophets of Israel, who prophesied for years in those days that I would bring you up, bring you against them? And it will come to pass at the same time when Gog comes against the land of Israel, says the Lord God, that my fury will show in my face for in my jealousy and in the fire of my wrath, I have spoken. Surely in that day there shall be a great earthquake in the land of Israel, so that the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens and the beasts of the field, all creeping things that creep on the earth, and all men who are on the face of the earth shall shake at my presence. The mountains shall be thrown down, the steep places shall fall, and every wall shall fall to the ground. I will call for a sword against Gog throughout all, All my mountains, says the Lord God. Every man's sword will be against his brother and I will bring him to judgment with pestilence and bloodshed. I will rain down on him, on his troops and on the many peoples who are with him. Flooding rain, great hailstones, fire and brimstone. Thus I will magnify myself and sanctify myself And I will be known in the eyes of many nations. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. Please keep your Bible open there. Now one of the uh, things that's been a characteristic of our age has certainly been an increase in severe weather, hasn't it? At least it seems that way. And uh, America especially gets her fair share of these huge tornadoes that come through we think of the uh, the big one like Katrina of course and uh, and these monstrous storms and we realize what a serious thing it is when when such severe weather comes upon a nation and that's why today it's such a blessing for the Americans to have the storm prediction center in Oklahoma because now they are able to give advance warning to make preparations in advance of these storms coming. And uh, the, the weather forecasting there is absolutely remarkable and it no doubt saves lives. But no matter how good they are at the Storm Prediction Center, there is one storm that they are never going to be able to predict 
because it won't show up on their radar like that. And it's the storm of when Russia invades the land of Israel with her allies. Uh, If you look in verse 9 of this chapter, the Lord God says, You will ascend coming like a storm, covering the land like a cloud, you and all your troops and many peoples with you. The picture is of, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen this in films where you see clouds rolling over hills. Fast forward, sometimes they play it fast, so you see the clouds, the shadow of the clouds falling over the hills. And he's saying that's actually what it's going to look like as the troops come storming down on the land of Israel. It's going to be like a fast forward of a shadow of a cloud coming down over the hills as the people come down like a storm covering the land. And that's a phrase that was used in the Old Testament for the Midianites coming down and covering the land like locusts as well uh, in the book of Judges. And God says that's one event that is going to happen in the future. Now, some people may be uh, scratching their heads and thinking, say, John, you just said the Russian-led invasion of Israel. But you know what? We didn't see the word Russia anywhere in that Bible passage that we just read. Well, actually, we did, but you probably didn't realize it. We saw it in verse 2. It says, Son of man, set your face against Gog of the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshech, and Tubal, and prophesy against him. Uh, What we're talking here is in ancient language from the Bible times, uh, we see names that have meanings. We have Gog, Now, the name Gog is the name of the leader of this invasion, and Gog means the great one. And it was was more of a title than it was a specific person's name, a bit like we'd say Pharaoh. Uh, And Gog was a name that often got adapted for great leaders. In fact, in the Old Testament, we read about two kings, Og, king of Bashan and Agag, the king of the Amalekites. And it's a development of this same name. Og, it means the great leader, the great one. And his land, in this case, is the land of Magog. And Magog, Magog, means the land of Gog. Okay, so this is the, uh, the spiritual name, if you like, for this. Although Magog is actually given a, a land in uh, the book of uh, Genesis chapter 10. But uh, what we see here in the names that follow Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal, the identifying features of Russia. Rosh is the ancient name of Russia. Now, it can be translated as head as well, because the Hebrew word for head, my head, is Rosh. A head teacher is a Rosh Shavar. Uh, head of the year, the big new year is Rosh Hashanah. And it can be translated, and your Bibles may translate it that way, as the head or the, print, the leader of, of this. But a, a lot of people believe that Rosh here is actually meaning it as a name. And the reason is the next two names, Meshach and Tubal, are very clearly identifiable as being Moscow and Tobolsk, which are the, the capitals of eastern and west Russia, uh, Tubolsk being really the capital of Siberia, and Moscow, of course, the capital 
of Russia. And some people uh, uh, are amazed to see that this modern uh, nation, which is such a superpower in the world today, I mean, if you look at that map up there, look at the size of Russia, covering 11 time zones, and little Israel in the green circle down below. It's unbelievable to see the size comparison next to the two. How is this in the Bible? And how is it that uh, Christians see Russia here? Is it just Cold War fever? Is that what we've got? Is this just, uh, you know, ever since they wrote that book, The Late Great Planet Earth in the 1970s, Christians have been seeing reds under the beds? Well, no, this is a historical view, and it's a, a view held by many respectable Bible commentators over the years. Here's one example, John Gill. John Gill was the pastor in London whose Spurgeon succeeded at the New Park Street Chapel, which then became the Metropolitan Tabernacle. And in his commentary, he says this, this land of Magog is the same with Cathia or Scythia. Now, you've heard in your Bible about the Scythians. They were the people who rode the horses. On They were excellent archers, and they came down and fought off the Mongols. All sorts of groups like that. They came down from the steppes of Russia. Some render it Prince of Rosh, Meshach and Tubal, taking Rosh as the real, as the rest, and the rest, as the rest for the name of a place, a part of Scythia from whence the Russians came and had their name. So I just show that as one illustration. I've got other illustrations in my notes with me here tonight that go back to the 1700s and others uh, where they identify it as Russia. So this isn't a new modern Christian thing uh, from preachers in America or anything like that. This is a historical view uh, of the, the terms here in this text. And so we see Russia there in verse 2 uh, 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 posturing against the land of Israel. And in fact, actually, it's really uh, a strong case because when you come down to verse 15, the Lord says, then you will come from your place out of the far north, you and the many peoples with you. Now, if you put your finger on the map of Israel and you trace it as far as you can to the far north, where do you come to? You come to Russia. That's, that's what the Bible says. So you've come out of the far north. So this is uh, what the Bible says. And I just came across this. I'm fascinated by this. Just recently, uh, over this last week as I was preparing, um, Meshech has some land around it called the Meshgera, <laughs> I don't know how you pronounce that, Lowlands. How do you pronounce that, Lilla? <laughs> the Meshgera Lowlands. And it's... it's it's Meshach, uh, it's the same thing again, which is around Moscow. So we have a strong case here of a Russian-led invasion of Israel. And uh, they come down uh, and attack Israel in the last days. In fact, this is when the, uh, the prophecy is going to be fulfilled. If you look in verse 8, it says, After many days you will be visited in the latter years, you will come into the land of those brought back from the sword and gathered from, the many, from many people on the mountains of Israel. So you have there, it, God says, in the latter years. He also says they come back to 
the mountains of Israel. That's very interesting. They've, they've come back to the land. And that's, of course, what happened in 1948. The Jewish people were gathered from all over the world uh, from their exile. World War I uh, prepared the land for the people when the British had the mandate given in the Bellflower Declaration. General Allenby conquered Jerusalem. The Ottoman Turk Empire fell and the British mandate began. That prepared the land, but the Jews weren't really interested until the Holocaust happened. And then they couldn't get out of Europe fast enough. World War I prepared the land for the people. World War II prepared the people for the land. And so they came back to their land. And they've been coming back to their land ever since. And the mountains of Israel were only ever regained, as we were talking this morning, uh, in 1967, 1973, with those wars in recent years when the Arab neighbors were fought back. So this prophecy really is bang up to date with our day today. And in verse 16, it says, it will be in the latter days that I will bring you against my land. I like that God says it's his land, just reminding us that Israel is his land. So this is a tremendous prophecy. And why are we surprised when we see really in the heart of Russia still such anti-Semitism? Uh, this is an interesting flyer that was distributed in Kiev uh, before the recent invasion of Russia. But it was going back a few years before. Ezra International um, reported on this. This had been found being given out to Jewish people uh, and given out on the streets to the Russian people. And it's a picture of a bear slashing through a star of David and underneath it says, Russia, wake up saying, Russia, the Jews are your problem. You've got to deal with them. And uh, that's part of their desire, apparently, for uh, the the situation in uh, Kiev. Uh, We think recently, October the 29th, after the the October invasions in the land of Israel by Hamas, um, when, when this plane at Dagestan landed, reportedly with Jewish people on board. You can Google this. This is quite terrifying to watch. But a huge mob stormed the airport, but pushed their way through security, pushed their way onto the, onto the runway to go and get the Jews who had safely been hidden uh, from that plane and kill them. There's a deep anti-Semitic hatred uh, in many places in Russia. And so what we see here is something which is not hard for us to understand in our own day and age. This morning we were talking about the uh, destruction of Damascus and the Syria side of the war. Well, Syria and Russia are very closely allied. Um, And uh, if it wasn't for Russia, uh, then uh, Bashar Assad probably wouldn't be in power now. Um, So when uh, these wars happen, we can understand how Russia will very much be involved in the last days. Uh, so this is, a, this is a future prophecy, even though it is in the Old Testament. And we believe it is a last days prophecy of a Russian-led invasion into the land of Israel. I mean, it even comes in the part of Ezekiel, which is dealing with future prophecies, what we call eschatology. It's dealing with, it's in the chapters from 36 onwards, or 35 onwards, really, 
to uh, the end of the book, which is dealing with the end times and comes here uh, at the end of those chapters before the millennial chapters begin in chapter uh, 40 to 48. So it's a very interesting prophecy, and I think we should have a look at this tonight because uh, it's bang up to date with the situation. A lot of people have been very interested to know about the Russian invasion of Israel, especially since Russia has gone into Ukraine, and it's awakened everybody's interest again in the situation with Russia. So let's have a look at this chapter, and we'll see it under five headings, beginning with the declaration of war, the preparation for this war, the motivation for this war, the devastation of this war, and the revelation of this war. First of all, the declaration for this war in verses 1 through to 3. And the declaration of war here is not what you think at first. The declaration of war is not Russia declaring war on Israel. The declaration of war at the beginning of this chapter is actually the Lord God of heaven declaring war on Russia. That's the astounding thing. The chapter actually begins the opposite way around that you might think. And it is God declaring war on Russia. Verse 1 says, Now the word of the Lord came to me. Ezekiel was a prophet and he received the messages. And he said, Son of man, set your face against Gog of the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal, and prophesy against him and say, thus says the Lord God. And you'll notice the phrase Lord God there is with small case for O-R-D of Lord and capitals for G-O-D. That means in Greek it's Adonai uh, Elohim, which means it's uh, the sovereign Lord is the phrase it might be written in some translations. Thus says the Lord God, behold I am against you, O Gog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. And what we see here is the Lord God saying that he is the one who is declaring war on Russia. And you may think to yourself, well, why is God declaring war on Russia? Well, I, I think there's two reasons for this. First of all, because God remembers the sins of the past. And God remembers the pogroms and the persecution of the Jews in the past. And just as he was patient with the Canaanites before uh, Joshua went in and there was the waiting until the full sin of the Amorites had happened, so God waits patiently, but his judgment will come. Like the old poet said, the mills of God grind slowly, but they grind exceedingly small. And uh, this is what we're seeing happening here. God is remembering the past. He remembers the anti-Christian persecution uh, in the days of the Soviet Union and remembers how Christians were persecuted. When I was growing up, one of the books that was my favorite book, uh, but it, it, was a, a, it was a favorite, but it was eye-opening, was the story called Vanya. I wonder if you ever read that, the story of the Russian soldier who was a Christian, uh, how God miraculously protected him and provided for him. He did die for his faith, brutally, brutally murdered, but uh, God looked after him for a long time in, in the situation. But the Christians were so persecuted by the Russian state. The Lord hasn't forgotten that. 
He hasn't forgotten all the little children in school who had to carve the name of Jesus on their shoes so they trod the name of Jesus underfoot. How they were taught to sing in school, the blight of the world is Jesus. God hasn't forgotten that. And so his judgment is going to come on this nation. And so he says in verse 4, I will turn you around, put hooks into your jaws and lead you out with all your army, horses and horsemen, all splendidly clothed, a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. And God says, I'm going to put a hook in your jaw. Now, it's not a very pleasant image, but it's what they used to do in old-fashioned warfare. When you took prisoners of war, uh, you would... This bit under your chin is very soft. And it's not very nice, I'm sorry, but they would literally get the prisoners of war with a hook through the jaw. You do it with animals as well. It's what you do with, a, with a, an ox, because that's very tender under there. And when you're being pulled along by a chain, you will go wherever you're being pulled. And that's what God says he's going to do. He says, I'm going to put a hook in your jaw and I'm going to lead you down to Israel where I am going to judge you. So this is a declaration of war on Russia. Now what's interestingly is, and this is interesting in a lot of Bible prophecy teachers at this time, is he says in verse 4, I will turn you around, put hooks in your jaw. It's as if Russia is actually going somewhere else and God says, no, actually, I want you to come down here because it's down here I'm going to judge you. And that's why it's so everybody's on alert with what's happening in Ukraine at the moment. They've gone into Ukraine. President Putin boasted I could take 10 European countries at the beginning when he started this war. And, uh, of course, he's found that he hasn't been able to. And uh, he is... He's in a difficult situation. Is it possible that he's going to ease off, back off, and say, do you know what? I'm going to go after Israel instead. He thinks it's his idea. And uh, God says that ideas are going to come through his mind in verse 10. uh, But actually, it's God leading him to come down here and judge him. So the declaration of war comes from God against Russia. You know, I've said it many times before, Romans 8.31, if, if God is for us, who can be against us? But you can turn that verse around, if God is against you, who can be for you? It's a terrifying thing, isn't it? A fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, says the book of Hebrews. And I like the story of Abraham Lincoln when uh, uh, it was the Civil War and a lady came up to him and she said, Mr. Lincoln, God is surely on our side, isn't he? And he turned around and said, ma'am, I'm more concerned that we be on God's side. (laughs) That's the way it should be. We need to make sure we are right with the Lord. And if that's so much true for the nations, it's true for individuals too. And I would say to every one of us here, make sure you are right with God. The old hymn said, get right with God and do it now. Get right with God, he tells you now. Come to Christ who shed his blood and at the cross, get right with God. If you've never asked the Lord Jesus to be your saviour, do so. Because it's a serious thing to not be on God's side and to have God as your enemy. So the first thing is the declaration of this war. second thing we see is the preparation of this war in verses 5 through to 9. Because here we see the Lord uh, revealing how the preparation will come together 
for these uh, for this uh, united uh, attack against the land of Israel. And he talks about the alliance that will come together and the armaments and then their arrival into the land. Let's start with the alliance in verse 5. And he mentions here the different countries that are involved. I'm sorry, I ran out of time tonight with the PowerPoint. I would love to have put all these things up so you can see them visually. But seeing them in your Bible won't be too difficult because they're names that are easy to identify. Persia... Persia is Iran, Iran. And uh, it's not a surprise to see Persia allied with Russia here to come against Israel because Iran and Russia are close military allies. And actually Russia provides uh, Iran with a lot of arms which they then provide to Hezbollah who then provide them to Hamas and and that's how it goes. Uh, But Iran and Russia are very closely allied. And they have uh, military pacts. And Persia, Iran, is obviously very anti-Semitic. You know what's going on at the moment with the great rush to uh, the nuclear uh, arms race in the Middle East. And Israel is waiting against, you know, it's a race of two clocks ticking down. That's what they say. The clock of Iran to get nuclear weapons on one hand and the clock of Israel to make a preemptive strike on the other. Which one will hit first? (laughs) Because Israel can't wait forever and allow them to get those weapons. But we know it's it's on the agenda. They are anti-Semitic. So Persia, Iran is in here. And isn't it interesting to see how Iran is so... Uh, present on the world stage again today. The next name is Ethiopia. Now, strictly speaking, the Hebrew word here is the word Cush. And Cush is, is a name for meaning for, for, for the African a- nations of Ethiopia and Sudan. And again, this is fascinating to see that at the other end where you've got uh, Persia coming from above with Russia. From underneath, you've got nations coming up from Africa, creating a pincer movement on the land of Israel. And it's fascinating in our day and age today to see how Russia has got her fingers into Africa in a big way, both directly and indirectly. She has her hand in, in uh, the situation in Sudan, as we've been hearing on the news, or heard it on the news even this morning, um, and their involvement there, and many other African countries where they are seeking to overthrow governments. Uh, and there was a report in the news just this week how they are, uh, one, one African nation, I can't remember which one it was, but uh, has had a fake news story from Russian media in, in its land saying that the people have been chemically tested without them knowing it by their own government. Now, the idea is to create an uprising among the people to overthrow the government and who will step in, the Russian powers. It's quite a a troubling thing they're doing that. They're also actively involved in the country's special, I think it's Senegal, where they want to get hold of Senegal uh, uh, because that's where cobalt comes from, which is the ingredient in every mobile phone in the world. And it's only found in that place known in Africa. So you think, if we own this, 
we control everybody. That's what they want. The other thing that's happened is Wagner. Do you remember the Wagner group and what happened there? That was a strange old fiasco, wasn't it? And they uh, left Ukraine to go and make a march up onto Russia. We're going to storm Moscow. And suddenly they changed their minds. They stopped. Do you know where they stopped? They stopped at the place where Russia stores her nuclear weapons. And little wonder President Putin said, it's all right, I'm not going to be cross at you. You can all go free. And they disbanded. A lot of people think that was actually not, uh, 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 not actually a, uh, a real coup, but it was actually a military strategy to take those weapons and transport them out of the country to different places without drawing too much extra attention to them. And Wagner has disbanded over many countries, including the African nations. So this is fascinating in our day and age today to see this, Persia and Ethiopia. And then Libya, where Colonel Gaddafi was, uh, it was a, a military and air base for Russia in North Africa, uh, and they're with them. And it says all of them with shield and helmet. Goma and all its troops. Now, where is Goma? Goma is an interesting one. There's two possibilities for Goma. Uh, Goma is generally recognized um, by a lot of commentators as being Armenia. Um, and, you know, sort of, again, in that same sort of northern area. However, the Ashkenazi Jews... <coughs> The Ashkenazi Jews, which is a subgroup of Judaism in Europe, they say Goma, and this is translated this, I understand, in, in their scriptures as Germany. And it's interesting to see anti-Semitism rising in Germany again. Um, and uh, is it possible that they, well, it is possible, but is it going to be Germany who unites with Russia in this war? It goes on and it says, and all its troops... And the house of Tagama. Tagama is Turkey. And again, Turkey has become, Turkey was quite friendly to Israel for a while, and Turkey has now become hostile. In fact, after the Gaza uh, incursion into the land of Israel, um, Israel had to pull out their, uh, close their embassy in Turkey because of mobs storming it. And Turkey and, and the president there are very anti-Semitic now. And uh, it's, it's no wonder they, they're siding with Russia here. So those are the alliances uh, that are going to come from the far north uh, with all its troops. As he says there, many people are with you. This is a big multinational army. Now, what I want you to get here is two things, okay? With this alliance, I want you to see who's mentioned here, as we've just listed them, but I want you to notice who isn't mentioned as well. Where are the neighbours around Israel when this invasion happens? Where are the West Bank? Where is Syria? Where is Gaza? Where is Jordan? They're not mentioned here, are they? 
And their absence is conspicuous. And this is why I've been trying to show you, and I, I don't know how well I've done, but I've been trying to show you these other wars. Psalm 83, which has these neighbours around them, is a judgment of God where God deals with these in battle. And I wouldn't be surprised if this war that we're seeing now developing turns into that Psalm 83 war. It looks so like it to me. There's a war with Syria coming on, as we talked about this morning, from Isaiah 17. And it's like these nations are taken out, and now it's the, if you think of it in concentric circles, getting bigger and bigger as it goes out. And now the, the local neighbours are all taken out. Now the bigger enemies outside are coming down to attack. That's why I think Israel is living in relative peace at this time. Why the wall has come down. He says living in a land of unwalled villages. Well, they're not unwalled at the moment. You've got the wall around the West Bank area and everything, the Bethlehem wall and that. But when all these other things fall, then uh, I think that wall will come down. So uh, this is uh, interesting to see who's here and who isn't. That, of course, also means by extension that if that's the case, then Ezekiel 38 can't happen tomorrow. And you do hear a lot of Bible prophecy teachers saying this could happen any day now. I think other wars have to happen first before we get to this, uh, as I've tried to make clear. Uh, I I don't know, I could be wrong, but this is how it makes sense to me when we put scripture with scripture. So this is the preparation for this war with the alliance there. And you notice the armament that comes with it. In verse 7, he says, Prepare yourself and be ready, you and all your companies that are gathered about you, and be a guard for them. After many days, you will be visited. Uh, and, And he says, In the latter years, you will come into the land of those brought back from the sword. So he's talking here about the armament of the uh, nations and again they're, they're prepared and Russia is said to be a guard for these other nations I take that to be the fact that they are the ones supplying the weapons to these other people and their arrival in the land comes in verse 8 and 9 they come down suddenly like a storm coming down on the land as we said so this is the preparation for war as it is revealed at this stage. And uh, I just want to say this, you know, that uh, there was a car sticker that said, if you live like there's no God, you'd better be right. And that's what I can't help thinking for Russia as uh, they come to this point here, persuading themselves and then uh, equipping themselves to go against Israel. They think there's no God. Well, you'd better be right because you're going to find there is, and it's going to be difficult. But that's a a little map showing the dick directions. It comes from all directions against Israel with this invasion. Uh, So they really are going to be attacked from every side. It's going to be a major war. And then thirdly, we see the motivation for this war in verses 10 through to 16. In verse 10, the Lord says, Thus says the Lord God, on that day it will come to pass that thoughts will arise in your mind and you will make an evil plan. You will say, I will go up against a land of unwalled villages. I will go to a peaceful people who dwell safely, all of them dwelling without walls and having neither bars nor gates, to take plunder and to take booty, to stretch out your hand against the waste places that are again inhabited and against a people 
gathered from the nations, who have acquired livestock, goods, and goods, who dwell in the midst of the land. Now, with the uh, motivation for this war, we can say to ourselves, what, what is it that is the driving force? Why do they want to go and, uh, and take it? Well, they see Israel as an easy target uh, because their guard is down in their mind. Um, they're, they're relaxed. And by the way, that was also what Hamas noticed about Israel on the 7th of October. And this is one of the accusations that has been leveled against Benjamin Netanyahu and his government that the military guard was down and that's why it was so easy for them to invade. And the question is whether or not Benjamin Netanyahu will still be in power after this war is over. Uh, It's an interesting one to see what will happen. But it's going to be the same situation. They're going to see the guard is down and it's going to come in their minds. They're going to come because they see now we can come up and as verse 12 says, take plunder and take booty. What is it thereafter? Well, there's a number of things that are mentioned here in the text that they're coming for. They're coming for livestock and goods. Now, that's interesting, isn't it? They're taking livestock and goods. Why would they be taking livestock and goods? You'd only want to take livestock and goods if there was a famine. And again, this is something that's unpleasant to think about, but war often brings famine. And the current situation we see with the war in Europe is stretching food resources. And a country like Russia is a big country to feed. Uh, He also says in verse 13 that they've come to carry away uh, booty, to carry away silver and gold. Silver and gold, precious metals, are a a very interesting thing to be gathered here. And they are gathered in other uh, last days passages, as we see even in Daniel chapter 11. But I think there's something else as well that's interesting that is in our day in particular that perhaps wouldn't have made sense in Ezekiel's day, which is the equivalent of silver and gold, what we would call black gold. And that is oil and gas. And over the last few years, uh, Israel has been late late to the show in finding oil and finding gas in Haland. It's everywhere else around the Middle East. Um, But uh, they have found large oil reserves and large gas reserves. And in fact, so much so, do you remember when that gas pipe was cut They went to Israel to get gas supply when that gas pipe was cut uh, at the beginning of the Ukraine war. And it's the spoil of oil, if I can put it like that, black gold. And this seems to be a part of the the possible uh, motivation for coming in to taking the land of Israel. They see what God has blessed them with in the last days. So uh, as the situation develops in the world, we'll understand how that becomes more and more important. I think one of the things James and other passages in the Bible prophesies is that there's going to be financial stretch as well in the last days and some financial shakings. And uh, when your finances are down, your blood pressure goes up (laughs) and your need goes up. And this is what's going to happen with Russia. That's the motivation. So that's why they're coming to take 
from Russia, from Israel. Let's come to the fourth thing, which is the devastation of this war. Because when they come and attack, it is the biggest mistake they ever made. In verse 16, the Lord says, You will come up against my people Israel like a cloud to cover the land. It will be in the latter days that I will bring you against my land so that the nations may know me when I'm hallowed in you, O Gog, before their eyes. And uh, he says here, oh, sorry, I've, I've read the wrong notes. Got ahead of myself. Uh, he, he says here that uh, there's a, there's, in verse, down to verse 17 to 22, he talks about the fact that there's going to be great devastation against the enemy when they come down. Although Israel is going to be caught off guard, she's not going to be undefended because the Lord himself is going to defend her. Verse 17, thus says the Lord God, are you he of whom I've spoken in former days by my servants, the prophets of Israel, who prophesied for years in those days that I would bring you against them. That's probably the most mysterious and hard to uh, explain verse in this passage. But for one little thing I can tell you, and that is that in the Septuagint, there are references to Gog and Magog that are not clear in the regular uh, Old Testament that we use. So uh, that's just something I I would alert you to. Some things like Joel I think it's in Amos, the locust locust invasion um, is likened to Gog and Magog. So maybe that is what he's talking to. But in verse 18, it says, And it will come to pass at the same time when Gog comes against the land of Israel, says the Lord God, that my fury will show in my face. For in my jealousy, in in the fire of my wrath, I have spoken. You know, when somebody gets angry, you can tell, can't you, by their facial features. You know, people go red in the face. They become, you can see it before you hear it sometimes. And this is what the Lord is saying. I am so angry. It's going to be like, it's going to be showing in my face. I'm going to have like a red face. I'm going to be so angry at you, Gog, for what you have done coming to attack my people. And he's going to pour his judgment on them in his jealousy. Why is he jealous? Because Israel is his people, his land, his mountains. That's what he said all the way through this passage. How dare you? And as a a husband or a father would feel jealous if a a member of their family was touched or or defiled or attacked uh, by a, a stranger. So in the same way, God says, that's how I'm going to be against Israel. And this leads to the most severe judgment I know of anywhere outside of Sodom and Gomorrah in the Bible. Have a look at this. In verse 17, he says, Surely in that day there shall be a great earthquake in the land of Israel. Uh, A lot of people don't know this, but there are earthquakes in the land of Israel. In 1927, there was quite a major earthquake, and they're due another one now. And there are fault lines that go through the land of Israel. And God says there's going to be not just an earthquake, a great earthquake. And it's going to be so great, it's going to affect all the creatures. Do you remember the tsunami, the the, the Boxing Day tsunami on uh, uh, 2004, was it? And um, they said that all the animals reacted before the people did. All the birds flew, 
all the, all the dogs went, bar- went missing or started barking if they were tied up. Uh, and everything went really weird. Well, God's saying it's going to be one of those type of earthquakes. In verse 20, so that the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, the beasts of the field, all the creeping things that creep on the earth, and all men who are on the face of the earth shall shake at my presence. And it's going to be like the presence of God which is going to cause this earthquake as he comes near in judgment. It's a fascinating little thing, this. Um, you know, I don't know whether this is a digression too much, but there's a, a speculation among astronomers about the movement of Mars in the past and whether there was a time once that Mars actually came closer to the Earth than it is now and what effects that had on the Earth at that time. Did that cause anything like crustal tides and things like that? It's a fascinating thing. But it's like God saying, when I come into the Earth's orbit, my presence is going to cause a great shaking on the land of Israel. The mountain shall be thrown down, verse 20. Uh, The steep places shall fall and every wall shall fall to the ground. So there's going to be landslides, there's going to be uh, rocks rolling down and even the walls of the buildings are going to come crashing down, uh, crashing down on some of these soldiers who come and invade. In verse 21, God says, I will call for a sword against Gog throughout all my mountains, says the Lord God. Now, that's a military intervention. So as well as this earthquake, you've got a military intervention coming in. Now, I'm not persuaded this is the Israeli military in this case because of what we've seen that they're uh, caught off guard. Uh, And it seems that God may introduce some other force to come and fight against the invaders. Back in 13, verse 13, you'll notice Sheba and Dedan and the merchants of Tarshish and all their young lions will say to you, have you come to take plunder? Have you gathered your army to take booty, to carry away silver and gold, to carry away livestock and goods, to take uh, great plunder? Sheba and Dedan are... um, generally recognized as being like Yemen and um, uh, it's that part of Saudi Arabia. Uh, And they're like reacting to Russia coming down saying, hang on a minute, what are you doing? Uh, And they're saying something. But Tarshish is a name that was given to many countries, including Britain. Mm. And I would love it to be that Britain stands with Israel in this war. (laughs) Uh, I don't know if that's what it means. But uh, certainly the young lions... Um, the offspring of Tarshish, which would be the colonies. Maybe that includes America. Maybe. That's one potential. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll react. We'll see. But it says, the mountains shall be thrown down, the steep places shall fall, and every wall fall to the ground. Uh, verse 21, I will call for a sword against Gog throughout all my mountains, says the Lord God. And then it says, every man's sword will be against his brother. And... God therefore turns, like he did with the Midianites in the days of Gideon, so that the people end up fighting each other. Uh, they become panicky. They fall out with each other, like at the Tower of Babel. And God is very good at making his enemies fight against each other. I'm persuaded that's why you have Sunnis and Shiites constantly fighting. It's God turning their swords against each other. 
and it will happen on the mountains of Israel at that time. Verse 22, and I will bring him to judgment, who's him, Gog, with pestilence and bloodshed. So Gog's army coming in, God will bring pestilence on him. There's going to be disease breaking out. Is that possibly chemicals that they had with them, chemical warfare? But it actually went wrong on them. That was one of the things that that seemed to happen with Al-Qaeda in Africa. Uh, They can't understand in some of the the, the reports I've heard of of CIA reports why uh, Al-Qaeda seemed to collapse in Africa more quickly than they did until somebody found a body by the side of the road and this body was dead and they quickly realized it had bubonic plague and they had dumped it by the side of the road as if to get rid of it, get it away from camp. Is that, and the, the, the speculation is, were they making bubonic plague and did this guy get infected with it? Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Maybe this is what will happen here to bring the pestilence on their own armies and the bloodshed. He says in verse 22, I will rain down on him, on his troops and on the many peoples who are with him, flooding rain. Oh, how difficult flooding rain is. If you don't believe me, read the story of Sisera in the book of Judges when he comes against Israel and how the flooding rain made his 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 chariots, his tanks, as we would say today, get stuck in the mud and the men had to get out the chariots and fight and run on foot. This is what God will do when they come with their war machines. The flooding rain will bog them down. Great hailstones. Now, God knows how to make great hailstones. I have a newspaper cutting at home that, again, I could have put on here, but I didn't get time to put on. But it's a, it's a quotation... Uh, so it's a newspaper cutting showing about great hailstones in America going back probably 10 years. And they were coming down the size, and the, it says the headline, hailstones the size of grapefruits. Can you imagine that? I mean, that's just unbelievable, isn't it? I mean, if you got hit by one of those, that's instant death. And that's what God did in, in Joshua chapter 10 against the armies that came against Israel, you remember. And uh, God is going to use that same, same weapon. And by the way, what was the Old Testament punishment for blasphemy? Stoning. So God's going to stone the blasphemers from heaven. They'll be hit with hailstone. And then he says fire and brimstone. That was the judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. And it's going to rain hell out of heaven on the armies of Russia when they come. This is going to be the devastation that is going to fall on the enemies of Israel, on those who come and attack her. I don't know of any response anywhere uh, in the Old Testament where there's a, a war like this. And this is, again, one of the reasons why we say this is future prophecy. Because if this had been fulfilled, everybody would know it. This would be world history. You know, this wouldn't be something dubious. Has it been fulfilled or not? You wouldn't know if this had happened. And it hasn't happened. And so we know this is in the future to come. What devastation comes on the enemies of God. And finally, we see the revelation of this war in the very last verse, 23. Thus, I will magnify myself and sanctify myself And I will be known in the eyes of many nations. 
then they shall know that I am the Lord. What is going to be the outcome of this war at the end? It's going to be that Russia is going to be dealt with and the enemy nations who come with her are going to be defeated. But there's going to be a bigger impact than that even. It's going to shake the nations of the world that there is a God. And he is the God of the Jews. He's the God of the Bible. He's not Allah. He's not Allah. What does he say? They should know that I am the Lord. And they will know it was the Lord. It wasn't Israel who delivered themselves. Israel was caught off guard. And all this stuff anyway, this was natural. It wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't weaponry. It was natural. It was God fighting against them. They're going to know the God of the Jews delivered them. And the world is going to break the back of athe- it's going to break the back of atheism in those days. Now that's a staggering thing. We talked this morning about Psalm 83 and about uh, Damascus falling, how that's going to break the back of Islam. Now people are stubborn, they will still be Muslims, and they will still grit their teeth and say, oh, "I don't believe in God," and they will still be atheists. But many people will actually come to acknowledge there is a God. It is the God of the Jews. doesn't mean there's going to be worldwide revival, but it means God is going to cause himself to be known and revered, and he will be hallowed. He will sanctify his name in the eyes of the world. That's what he said in verse 16, so that the nations may know me when I am hallowed in you, O God. And you know our prayer which we pray, I trust you pray it like me every day, the Lord's Prayer, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. How do you think that's going to happen? I wish I could tell you it's going to happen by worldwide revival. But I know definitely it's going to happen by the Gog and Magog war. And the world will fear the Lord. And that will then set the stage for the tribulation. The superpowers have been laid aside. And now we can have the rise of the Antichrist. And when the nations of the world continue against God, they will know it's the wrath of the Lamb. And they will say that, as it says in Revelation chapter 6. Because they're not unbelievers anymore. They're believers. But they're stubborn unbelievers. They don't want to come to him. But nevertheless, God will be hallowed in that day. Well, there's so much there to take in. Thank you so much for bearing with me patiently. I'd love to tell you more about these things. But let's keep our eyes on on the world scene and above all, keep our eyes down in the pages of the Bible so that we can see how prophecy will come to pass, maybe even in our day, with these amazing things.